Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Internet Hour, episode 138. It is Spotify wrapped day. So your Instagram is probably full of information about your friends that maybe you want, maybe you don't want. I don't know. I really want it. I was flipping through Instagram stories this morning. So into finding out what music people listen to. I think, you know, music is if the eyes are the window to the soul, someone's music preference is the maybe like the back door to the soul in a in a weird way or like the side window to the soul or maybe the doorway between the living room and the kitchen soul kind of vibe but yeah I feel like you can tell and glean glean yeah a lot of uh information about a person by who they listen to and I think it's fun to be open to sharing that part of yourself, the deeper part of yourself and your music preference. I feel like for the past couple years, I was really self-conscious by the amount of Taylor Swift I listened to. And this year I've really come into it. I think probably in part because she's having her own humongous moment and that's validation enough. But also maybe I'm coming into myself and I'm proud to be a pop loving girly I will say I think when you're younger and I say that with no hoity-toity like I'm older now but just when I was younger I really cared a lot what people thought of me and I really wanted people to think I was cool and honestly the coolest thing you can do is be yourself am I right so I just I'm excited to come into myself and own the fact that my top artists were Taylor Swift, Olivia Rodrigo, and Miley Cyrus. Like those are my girls. Those are who I'm listening to. My second or my fourth and fifth of my top five artists were Japanese Breakfast and Proxima Parada, which I mean, a lot of the Spotify wrapped algorithm, whatever. I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are like caveats and equations or whatever on the back end that account for, oh, you were going through, well, no, no, they, there probably aren't, but just there were months where I, I think January was the month where I listened nonstop to Japanese breakfast because I was reading Crying in H Mart and it was a nice accompaniment to the book, but And of course, I listened to Japanese Breakfast more over the year, but not as much as I listened in January. And not that it's not a reflection of my music taste, because I feel like it very much is. I was kind of proud to see Japanese Breakfast up there, because that is, to me, I don't know, that is, it does, I don't know, it represents this year for me and what I did listen to, but that's just, I'm just saying, and Proxima Parado, which was my number five, was also like heavy, heavy listening in June, which again, not a bad thing. I just do think it's interesting that I specifically, I mean, no, not specifically. I'm sure this is a general trend and I'm sure other people listen this way, but I really get fixated on things and I go super ham and listen to a lot of one artist or whatever in specific times in my life. And it was really cool too to see that, to hear the music that I was listening to on repeat, repeat, repeat at the beginning of the year and thinking about what state of mind I was in and how excited I was for the year was meaning like it fulfilled it and this year was exciting and great. But just to remember what place I was in and to be able to hear that and document that through music is just so fucking cool. It's so dope. (laughs) Okay. That was a part of my notes, but For some reason, I just kicked it off with that. It's like halfway down. I'm going to sneeze. 
Oh my God. <laughs> I did sneeze, but I cut it out for you guys. Today is my sneeziest day in a while. And that's saying a lot because I have tons of sneezy days. I have an allergy situation that I need to go to an allergist for. I went to an allergist when I was 12. I feel like you've probably heard this story before, but went to an allergist when I was 12 and they were kind of like, oh, we don't know what you're allergic to. We think it's just like something in your body that's giving you an allergy, which is crazy and disorienting and really weird to think about. And I don't like to think too deeply about it because it's scary. But I've basically been taking Zyrtec every day for the past 15 years. And I saw that it can affect your memory and other scary shit if you take it over a long period of time. So I'm just not going to go there and I'm not going to think about it. But it makes me very sneezy. And I have to, have to, have to start buying those little packs of tissues. I, we all do this in life where you know when you know something is going to improve your life. But in that moment, you think, I don't want to spend six, seven dollars on this. But then the next day you're flippant and you spend six to seven dollars on a fucking coffee. So I just need to prioritize this thing that would actually help me and buy little packs of tissues that I can take on the train because honestly, I am so embarrassed when I sneeze on the train and I do, I have, I've had loose tissues my whole life. My dad was always like a tissue guy. He was always, he always had two or three fresh tissues in his pocket to give out, not give out to other people, give out to like my sister and I, and that was really that was always clutch and nice. So maybe I got used to that and I didn't pick it up as bringing my own tissues places, but I should definitely pick it up. I do, I do the loose, sorry, that was like confusing. I said, I do the loose thing, the loose thing. I do the loose tissue thing. But then I said that I didn't pick that up for my dad. I think, I mean, I sometimes have tissues and when I do, they're loose in my bag. Not like gross, not in a gross way, fuck. They're just like, they're in the side pocket of my bag. There's like three loose tissues and I'll whip those out and I'll use them on the train. But there's nothing worse. I mean, there's tons of things worse, but there's nothing worse than sneezing on the train and not having a tissue and being that gross person who either has like boogers on their face and you have to slowly over the next five minutes like wipe at your nose a few times to clear like it I'm sorry I can't believe I'm admitting this to the public but it does happen and it's embarrassing it sucks it's gross and I need to buy little packs of tissues to accommodate myself so there there you go okay that was also off topic. Let's move in to the actual things that I have written down for my little episode, which I'm really loving that I'm planning things and writing things down, writing topics down to talk about instead of just going like super off the dome, off script. The first thing I have written down, which you may have taken note of or may not have taken note of so far in this episode, I need to stop saying like, I feel like, like in those in those scenarios, it's fine. I feel like X, Y, Z, but the supplemental like that we add to sentences, we meaning me and maybe other people, but mostly me, are just simply torturous to listen to. I was editing my episode yesterday and through the first edit, I can get through and I don't really notice the like, but sometimes I'll listen on the Spotify app just to see how it sounds or how it plays in Spotify and how other people are consuming it. And when I listened then, yesterday, I 
played it. And within the first minute, I noticed that I was saying like a lot. And once you notice it, I cannot stop noticing it, thinking about it. And it completely ruins the experience for me. And I feel like it doesn't reflect my level of intellect, even though has my fucking zipper been on the table this whole time annoying the shit out of you? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Anyway, once I notice myself saying like, I can't stop and it makes me crazy. I can't stop noticing and it makes me crazy. And it's simply, oh, I was saying it doesn't reflect my level of intellect, but it does because I talk like that in real life too. It's not just a podcast thing. So I can't imagine if we know each other in real life and I talk and I say like so much, I just, I'm sorry to your ears for sure, but I'm going to consciously try to stop saying it even in my outside podcast life because it totally dilutes the message. And when you're clear and don't say like, it's such a more enjoyable experience, I think, for everyone. And it just sounds smarter. It gets to the point quicker. So I'm going to make a very conscious effort. And hopefully it doesn't ruin the flow of things. I don't think it will, but let's just see how it goes. And if I do start saying like subconsciously, well, it'll be, I don't know. I don't know what's subconscious, what's intentional and how those two principles interact, but whatever. If I unintentionally start saying like, just forget about it. Just like, don't even worry. I just did it. Oh my God. Okay. It's going to be a long one. I'm going to not stop and acknowledge it. I'm just going to keep it, keep it moving, keep it kicking, but sorry in advance. Sorry for my 137 prior episodes. I've definitely talked about it before. So I've apologized about it before and blah, 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 but here I am, new episode, we got this. Okay, first of all, I wanna clear something up that I simply giggle over because I am so stupid. Not so stupid, but yesterday in my episode, I said the movie that Jennifer Lawrence stars in about being an Uber driver and hooking up with an 18 year old, or not hooking up, sorry, dating for money an 18 year old was called Happy Endings. It is not. It is not called that at all. It's called No Hard Feelings. So I'll just say that. And I totally get if you were listening yesterday to the episode and you've seen No Hard Feelings or you've seen any press about it and simply know that it's not called Happy Endings. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You were probably screaming at the top of your lungs how wrong I was. And I totally understand. I think it's funny now, but if it was torturous to you, I just, I apologize. But in what world would it be called happy endings? I don't understand. I don't understand what my brain did there. They're kind of similar in texture. That doesn't make sense, but the words feel like they're of the same combination style. I don't think that makes sense either, but maybe if you were in my brain, you would know. Just wanted to clear that up. So that's that. My next note is that the girlies are wearing red scarves. The amount of red scarves, red accessories, everything that I've seen on the streets in the train are simply overwhelming. Not overwhelming in a bad way, but I'm just, I've never seen such a 
clear trend happening in the world. And I want to make it very clear. I did not predict or notice or guess that red was going to be the color of the season. It's very much documented in magazines, etc. Other way smarter, more fashion forward trend forecasters were on this before me. And that's the only reason I was on it at all is because other people were on it. And I was into it and I noticed it. But now more than ever, I am just seeing red everywhere. It's very much a red shoe scarf bag situation. I did myself just get a red um, fleece sweater. No, fleece, like a zip up fleece thing from Old Navy, which I'm very excited about. And I think that'll add my pop to a lot of outfits and that'll satisfy my red craving. But it's just been crazy. And I think it looks so good, so fabulous. It is one of those things that I'm not sure will last past the year or the season or the trend. I think that's how trends work. I And it's not, red is not a revolutionary color in fashion. I think it just is very much of the moment. And so that's why we're seeing a ton. And I don't think it's going to last. I mean, obviously, in the spring, the, the color schemes will change to accommodate the warm weather and red just doesn't fit into that vibe. So it's, you know, it's going to do what a trend does and it's going to fall out and maybe it'll be back. Maybe people will have had much fun with the trend and will bring it back next year for themselves. But I think there will obviously be a new trend next year that'll take over. And I wonder what it is. I Did we already do like a deep plum purple? I don't know, but I'm feeling that. And that's also to say that a color is not always the trend. And in this case, it's not even the color. The color is a major part of the trend, but the color is 50% of it. The accessory part of it is 50% of it too. Like a red scarf is it. And it's very cherry red, fire truck engine red. So yeah, I'm excited to see what comes of the spring and further into the winter as well because there can totally be multiple trends of the season and i totally think there are i just haven't seen them i just haven't seen them so blatantly cool my next note is real housewives of potomac but honestly i can't even get into it i need to have a another episode dedicated to bravo there is stuff going on i'm just so not into this season of Potomac for some reason. It's becoming a real sad, I almost said sack, sad sack, but it's just become um, not what it used to be, let's say that. I totally thought it was one of the top franchises two years ago, and now it's totally just fallen off. And I don't know why, I don't know how we're going to fix it, but we need to. Okay. My next note is a personal note. I saw two or three weeks ago at Beacon's Closet in Greenpoint a dress by Cynthia Rowley. It was a purple, a light-ish purple dress where the underlayer was kind of this poofy, um, it was very much a solid material. I want to say maybe, mm, probably not cotton, but there's like a sheer sheeny, not polyester. Um, it's more structured than that. And it was this layer. It was it was giving jellyfish dress, like the top. It wasn't skin tight by any means. 
but it was a little bit more fitted up top and then it kind of ballooned out on the bottom. And then there was a second layer that was like, that was maybe purple tulle and same shape. And it was just fabulous. I thought it was a little too long. I'm going to a wedding next Thursday, actually, a Thursday wedding, which is going to be interesting and fun. And it was, now that I think about it, the perfect dress. And I thought about getting it at the time and I just couldn't. I let it go. I thought it was a little too long. And usually I would be open to hemming something like that. But because of the tooly material on top, I was kind of nervous to fuck it up. And it was maybe $70, which was quite a steal from the $300 sale price that it was. But I don't know. I just couldn't do it. And now I so highly regret it. And I wish I had it so that I could wear it to this wedding because I don't know what the fuck I'm going to wear. I have a few dresses that I'm into, but they're skin tight and my body is just feeling like lumpy, not ready for skin tight. And that's probably just my insecurity talking and I would be fine. And But comfort is totally the move. And I, I don't know how comfortable I'm going to be in these skin tight things. So I either have to find a new dress or go back to Beacon's Closet and hope that this Cynthia Rowley dress is there. I feel like it could be there potentially because it is a specific type of dress for a specific type of occasion that I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure people have shit to do. Like there's a million people, 2.5 million people in Brooklyn and they have stuff to do. They have places to go. They have to dress up and look nice. It's not just me. So maybe it's gone, but maybe I'll go back today and just see if it's there. And if it is there, I'll get it and I'll let you know that I did. Okay. Um, My next note, I've definitely talked about this. I just, I'm going to promote it again because I'm obsessed. The Every Outfit podcast is so fucking good if you're into fashion. They're two just smart women who are in the zeitgeist, who are in literally in LA, in the fashion world, styling world, and they know they're so smart about fashion. They know people. They know things. It's just so good if you are into it. So give it a listen. I would highly recommend. And they talk news too and Kardashians. It's so good. I'm so, so into it. Okay. Timothy Chalamet is doing the press tour. Okay. Timothy Chalamet, Timothee Chalamet is doing the press tour for Wonka and he's just around the world doing his thing specifically in a purple latex suit with no shirt underneath and a very expensive diamondy necklace that looks like it is made of candy. I am simply over the moon excited to see what his looks are going to be for this press tour, what he's going to continue to do. I think he's having a moment, having a fashion moment. And I really think that Kylie Jenner is into the fact that he's into fashion. And I think they probably bond over it quite a bit. I wonder if they're still dating. I feel like they probably are. I think that they should continue dating until the Met Gala at least so that we, the public, can reap some benefits from this relationship. Not that we haven't so far and not that we aren't reaping benefits in the fact that Kylie Jenner is happy. I'm very happy that she's happy, but I would just like to see a few fashion moments between them if uh, they would be so willing because I think it would be iconic and I think they both have very interesting taste. I mean, 
do I think Kylie has interesting taste? I, I guess. I guess so. I think she's – I don't know. This is going to be a tangent, tangential thought or tangenty thought, a, a digression, if you will. Kim Kardashian, I feel, is getting so – she's giving us so much – too many looks, too many different kinds of looks. And I think I respect that because when I look back on her style and just to see how it evolved and see the amount of eras she's had, it's been really satisfying to go through it like that. And I think she's had some incredible street style looks that come from getting dressed up every day and going out and giving us serving a look. But I just think she's doing there's too many looks it's almost when you do too much it gets diluted and less powerful in a in a way and not powerful that in that she needs a moment i don't think she needs a moment but i think she needs more consistent casual style and then those punchy moments where she's going out and doing something really glitzy flashy those moments will feel really just revolutionary and sparkly and important. And I mean, revolutionary and important are almost ridiculous words to use for Kim Kardashian on the red carpet to a lot of you, I'm sure. But I just, I do remember when there was a distinct, almost when Courtney was dating Eunice, Kim in her same, in her parallel street wear, look with the lace bodysuits and the boob cup things with a pair of Adidas big track pants with a heel and a little bag and her long black wet hair look and the little sunglasses like that was a fucking moment and I feel like all the looks that she was putting on during that time in the street style portion of it walking I mean when I say street style, I mean walking to and from cars and into buildings. That was just so fun and cool to watch. And I almost feel like her car to building style is becoming more of a part of these like gown looks or these really almost too fancy for the occasion and so it's just it's overwhelming and then when she does wear something to a red carpet or an awards show or whatever it maybe falls flat for me because I feel like we've been seeing iterations of it and I feel like she feels that she needs to her street style and her red carpet style almost need to like coalesce to to blend together and I think there is room here for making her more casual looks different than her crazy whatever looks. And there's also the magazine photo shoots that contribute to that, that, yeah, I just don't know. I don't know how I'm feeling lately. But anyway, I guess I feel differently about Kylie, although I feel like we don't get as many street style, car to building style things from Kylie as we used to. But I don't know. Maybe that's just, maybe that's not even true. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, okay. Next note. Bows are back. <laughs> Another trend forecasting moment, if you will. Not from me, but from reputable sources, obviously, and kind of from me. I bought a bow, a hair bow, like three weeks ago, and I've worn it probably 10 or 11 times. And 
I look super cute and super chic and like my name is Eloise and I should be wearing ballet flats. So I'm really into that. I'm really into that for everyone. I think it's I think it's very chic. It's giving Parisian baguette latte. <laughs> okay, next note, Matt Reif, which feels like feels too short of a name, but whatever. His so everything that's going been going on. I did I even talk about it? I think I did that he made a domestic violence joke in his Netflix special because or the whole Netflix special was especially misogynistic and catering to men and misogyny and male culture, whatever, because he was being pigeonholed or was being known as a comedian that only had female fans and they were only fans of his because he was hot and basically delegitimized that fodder delegitimized his comedy his comedy career, his his sense of humor, his, I don't know. So he basically, it seems, started to resent the fact that women thought he was hot and therefore were his fans and that maybe they didn't respect him for his comedy, although maybe they did respect him for his comedy. He doesn't know that. He's just so like, he's maybe, he's maybe just self-hating. I don't know. But but his new Netflix special is basically an, a compensation or a swing on the pendulum to the other side where he wanted to prove to men that he wasn't only famous because women thought he was hot. And so his new Netflix special sucks dick. And there, I said it. I haven't even seen it, but everything I've seen about it leads me to believe that it's bad. But anyway... That kind of goes back to the note that I have, which says Matt Reif, Jawline Doctor, Tana Mojo interview. Because Matt Reif used to be not hot, not conventionally hot at least. And he fixed that, apparently. He de denies it, which totally is the theme. It's the theme. Nobody can admit when they've had work done because it somehow delegitimizes their... I don't know. I don't know. Or it's that forces you to admit that you had an insecurity about your looks and and you think your value comes from your looks, which is totally a normal thing that we've all developed because society tells us that our looks are so important. So it's not I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. I mean, I've never had work done, so I don't know how how I would feel after I had done something to myself. But I I I don't know. I can understand it, but I also think it's a little silly or ridiculous when it's obvious to to the larger public and to plastic surgeons on TikTok who make videos about people who have plastic surgery. It's just like it's almost strange to deny it when people are saying that it's obvious. But anyway, he said that he got his teeth fixed, which he did. That was like a clear thing that he was insecure about or that made him quote not as attractive I guess so he got veneers and also according to a lot of people or what a lot of people think he got surgery plastic surgery on his face or fillers or something and recently even I mean and he's denied it but recently his alleged plastic surgeon posted on TikTok and said when 
something to the effect of when you do an amazing jawline reconstruction surgery or whatever, and then your client gets canceled. And so, of course, everyone knows and thinks he's talking about Matt Reif. And Matt Reif himself commented on the video and said something. Let me look it up. Okay, yeah, the TikTok was me after creating the greatest jawline ever seen just for my patient to get canceled right after, which is objectively a funny video. I don't know what HIPAA law is being violated. I don't know. Matt Reif commented and he said, lying about medical history is illegal, just FYI. So me thinks you got plastic surgery or you got your jawline fixed. I don't know. I feel like doth protest too much, if you know what I mean. And just scrolling through that article and seeing all of the pictures of him compared to when he was 20, and one of his jokes is, puberty hit me disrespectfully late. It's like, is that, does that happen? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe nobody knows enough to say that just doesn't happen to people. Maybe it does happen to people, but also puberty doesn't change the shape of your face and make you look like you got your buckle fat removed. So I don't know. But also, you know, if that's something he was insecure about, but then if you're going to get famous off of your looks, you have to be responsible in some way to the public to t and tell them? I don't know. What do you guys think? I have no idea how I feel, but he annoys the shit out of me. Even when he was blowing up, let's say, in the beginning of this year and his TikTok compilations of his comedy were going viral, I did not think he was that funny. And, um, and now knowing who he is and what he's about, I think he's even less funny. So he's kind of irrelevant to my life in that I'm not going to waste time consuming his comedy. I'll waste time talking about him because it's fun and it's content. But yeah, I don't know. I'm good. I'm good on him. And included in the good on him, he went on Tana Mojo's podcast and she kind of annihilated him because he was saying that he thinks the reason that people are so mad at him is because they're jealous and that if you look in history, everyone that people are mad at, it's because they're jealous of them. And Tana Mojo amazingly asks him if he thinks that people are jealous of Osama bin Laden and that's why they hate him so much because she was proving the very obvious point that there are so many reasons that people hate people one of them may be jealousy, but it's certainly not always a part of the equation. So it's a ridiculous assertion for him to make. And it's just so obviously covering up the fact that he he can't admit to himself that some people maybe just don't like his comedy and did only like him because he was hot. I don't know. There's a lot wrapped up there. And just if you go on TikTok and you click Matt Reif, review or whatever. I don't know. And it's a woman. She's probably saying something smart and good. So yeah, if you're interested in that, do that. Okay. My next note. Apparently, we are supposed to have really cool trench coats. <laughs> That's what Vogue says. And I'm into it. I'm into it. I did... I. I have this link to a trench coat that's a color block black and white trench coat and it's just fabulous and it looks so good but I again can't pull myself to buy it. Okay next note. 
There is an article on the cut that I would highly recommend reading. It's called The Year That Couldn't Break Megan the Stallion. It's so good. It highlights and outlines everything that Megan the Stallion went through this year. And she's been through quite a bit, like quite a bit. And it's taken its toll on her. And she outlines some of her struggles in her song Cobra that was released at the beginning of November. But it's a it's a hopeful article in that she separated from the label that was taking advantage of her, the label that she made famous, that she put on the map. And she's now funding her own album, her next album she's going to fully fund. And she's out of a relationship that was seemingly toxic. I mean, he cheated on her in her own home. So things are looking up, I would say, for she was in Big Mouth. She was in Dick's The Musical. Like she's doing well now, but it's but it's despite all of the things that she's been through this year. And I could only wish like the best, the absolute best for her because she seems like a genuine, real, amazing person. And I'm happy that she's she's come on the scene and I'm happy that she's alive. Okay. Taylor Swift is Spotify's Global Artist of the Year. Yeah, I could have predicted that. I contributed greatly to that success. No, just kidding. Contributed a little bit to it. But yeah, okay. Charlie XCX is engaged to a member of the 1975, George Daniel. Apparently, they've been together for a long time. I saw a Twitter thread yesterday that was magical. It had pictures of them throughout their whole relationship and so heartwarming. You can just tell that they love each other a lot. And I'm very excited to see, one, the ring. I don't know if it's out yet, any pictures of it. And two, the wedding. She's going to have an iconic wedding, no questions. So yeah, um, in the same vein, Dove Cameron and Damiano David are seemingly dating. There are paparazzi photos of them kissing on the beach. I barely know Dove Cameron, and I certainly don't know Damiano David. He's a member of the band Maniskin. Yeah, Maniskin, Maniskin. They look like a cool couple. I guess I only said in the transition from Charlie XCX to this couple, I don't think Dove Cameron is by any means on the same level as Charlie XCX, and I don't think Damiano David and Maniskin is has the same level of recognition as the 1975. I didn't know George Daniel's name by any means or didn't even know he was in the 1975. I guess I just mean it's an it girl with a band guy. <laughs> so I'm happy for all of them. Happy relationships are very exciting. Okay, next headline. Jen Shaw is helping Theranos fraudster Elizabeth Holmes tone her abs behind bars. I just think that this is the most unhinged pairing of people and the most insane situation in which they could be paired together, Elizabeth Holmes and Jen Shaw in prison. It's it's almost as if there were an AI engine that randomized. It's like a Mad Lib, a Mad Lib. I almost futurized Mad Libs by just talking about some future version of an AI engine. I don't know why, but... It's like a Mad Lib. It's like just the most random shit ever. I can't. Maybe for 2024, we can do some fun Mad Lib predictions. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do that. That'll be fun. 
Okay, next note, Holidate with Emma Roberts is a holiday movie. I watched it last night for apparently the second time immediately when I turned it on. So I turned it on as a movie we haven't seen before, a Christmas movie we haven't watched before. And Aquatil said, we've definitely seen this. We've definitely watched it. And in my classic, I am right about everything. So I really have to double down on things and especially doubling down when I really truly believe what I'm saying is correct. Torture for me and everyone involved. But I said, no, I haven't seen this. What the hell are you talking about? And he stayed strong, even though I was I was daggering. I was like, how dare you fucking tell me that I don't remember a holiday movie? Like what? And then 10, 12 minutes in, I totally remembered it. And the only reason I didn't quite think I had watched it before is because I remember the first time we watched it, I was not paying attention. I put it on in the same vein as a holiday movie just to satisfy that we just made dinner and we have to sit down and and watch something and I have to find something to watch before I can take even one bite of my dinner. So it's going to be this movie. We had already done that and I had already been on my phone and eating dinner. So I didn't quite remember it. So in a way, we were both right. Just kidding. He was completely right and I'm sorry and I will tell that to his face. (laughs) I did last night. I said, I'm so sorry. You're right. We did watch this. But why do I do that? Why do I do that? Because if I was right, then I would have been justified and right in my righteousness about it. Is that necessary? No. So let me cool it. Let me cool it a little bit. I'll cool it. Okay. But the movie, sorry, the movie is a good is a good concept. Emma Roberts, I think I like her as an actress person. I... I think my first love with her was Unfabulous, the TV show that was so strange. And she was slightly annoying in that show, but that was her character. So I think my opinion and what I think of her was built atop that. And that's not actually who she is or who she is as an actress. As an actress, she's majorly versatile and I'm proud of her. And she has almost the same jaw and mouth as my sister. So I I realized that last night and it was quite comforting. Like I was just like, Emma, sis, what's up? <laughs> it just felt good. It felt good to recognize her. Anyway. My next note is another headline. It's just very cute. I don't know anything because I didn't open the article and read it. But Billy Porter and his estranged hubby are fighting over their cockapoo, which is just so cute. Not the estranged hubby and divorce vibes because I'm sure that's very difficult for both of them. But the cockapoo, the fact that they're both obsessed with this pet enough that they're fighting over it in court, which I totally understand. I think it's different. I mean, I don't know. I haven't gotten a pet with a partner ever. I I mean, I have with a life partner, but not someone I'm going to break up with. Like life partner, meaning Pink and I in college got our cats together. Got our, our was that the right? Got, got our cats together. Yeah. I don't know. But that we're friends. We were roommates. We were, it wasn't, we weren't a couple who the potential to break up means the potential to separate didn't mean we're never going to speak to each other again or see the cats that each of us took again. It just means we won't live together and they will be split up, which ended up being fine. Anyway, whatever. I think you know what I mean. I haven't gotten a pet with a, with a boyfriend 
ever. And I, so I don't know what it would be like. It would be, I think, probably really hard to relinquish that love. And, and just the, I'm sure if you're going through a difficult separation, the pet, as kids usually are, are a point of contention because you feel ownership over them. Because when you were together, you had complete, you both had complete ownership. And the fact that there's potential for you to lose some of that ownership, I'm sure is really frustrating and scary. So I hope somehow it works out. I don't know. I don't know how it would. Timeshare cockapoo, maybe? Okay. My next note, Emma Chamberlain, lots of Emmas. Emma Chamberlain did a little video series thing, not series, one video thing. (laughs) Thing and stuff is so millennial coded. It's nuts. We use these words to replace so many things. And I don't think other generations do that. I'm sure Gen Z does it now because we're all together. We're zillennials. But she did a video with Vogue where she looked at some of the trends for 2023, like not the forecasted ones, but the ones that had already happened in fashion specifically. And she rated them, which I thought was really fun. So I'm going to do it myself. The first one was the pantsless trend. This is kind of a new one in that this is kind of a new one. I feel like I've only seen it in the last couple months, but maybe that's because it's only coming down into the public, not the public like me and my style, but onto red carpets, let's say, in the past couple months. I'm sure it was on runways before that, and that's how it trickled down onto the red carpet, obviously. I mean, I know it was on runways. I don't know what I'm saying. But anyway, I am not – actually, I remember talking about Kendall walking in – think why do I feel like saying last year's spring summer so a year ago no I think it was earlier this spring it was fall winter 2023 that she was wearing it and I commented and I said I don't really like it because it looks it gives diaper and I know it's it's not that it's supposed to but I know that that's an obvious take on it. And maybe that's not very high fashion of me to draw that parallel, but I don't really love it. Maybe it'll grow on me. I'm honestly giving it a four out of 10, the pantsless trend. Who knows? Maybe someone will pull it off and they'll do it and we'll see. The second trend, stealth wealth. I am definitely going to give this like an 8 out of 10. I really do enjoy the understated nature of fashion and labels like the row and other really expensive things that make quite simple, quaint, dainty stuff that's not too flashy but obviously is expensive. But Emma Chamberlain did comment in her video and she said, I like the trend, but I also think that it's possible to that the stealth, wealth, quiet, luxury aspect can be achieved with affordable clothing. So obviously those are – what's the word? Fuck. What's the word? Um, those are not opposites. Conflicting ideas or – there's a word. Oh, my God. Somebody scream it to me. They're obviously in competition. No. 
I don't know what an oxymoron. No, an opposite. Is it an oxymoron? Yes, an oxymoron. Affordable, quiet luxury. Affordable stealth wealth. Yeah, that's an oxymoron. Boom, eat it. Let's go. Nice. Okay. But I totally agree with her. I think it's so possible, and I think it would it would have another name, obviously. But I'll give this trend an eight, eight and a half out of ten. Okay, next trend, Barbie core. Here I'm going seven, seven and a half. I liked it a lot. As Emma Chamberlain said, she liked the community aspect of it, that everyone's getting excited, dressing up. It's a It was a bright, vibrant color for summer, and it was a really fun palette to choose from and got everyone really excited. So in that aspect, I really liked it. I did think some of it was not totally on the nose fashion-wise for me, so that's why it's 7.5. But maybe even it's an 8, so yeah. Okay. The next note was Tomato Girl Summer, which honestly I hadn't heard of, which makes me feel old and sad. But when I looked it up, it it makes sense. I was well aware of it in, I guess not in concept, but I was well aware of it in that I also liked the trend. It's It's almost what you would wear if you're in Italy and you have a tomato garden and you're summering and you have time off of work and you're just living this amazing life where you can go out and pick tomatoes from the garden in your flowy white dress or your scarf that you're tying around your head with big sunglasses or almost the vibe that I'm picturing and that is on the cover of this Teen Vogue article is Kendall Jenner in that brown matching top skirt for Courtney's wedding in Italy. That is giving Tomato Girl. And I really, I'm into it now that I know about it. Tomato Girl Summer is a fucking vibe. And I'm giving it, I'm giving it a nine, maybe 9.5 out of 10, truly. Okay, Coastal Grandma is the next trend. Yes, I am very into it. I can rock Coastal Grandma since my Venus is in Cancer. My color palette for life, I guess, is really towards those neutral colors with some light blues, some pale yellows, maybe a bright yellow in there, but very much linen white in the summer. And yeah, I'm super into it. Nine out of 10, Coastal Grandma. Okay, Ballerina Core. I'm giving six out of 10. I totally respect it as a core, <laughs> but I, for some reason, can't get on board with the flat situation or like the ballerina flat specific situation, the leg warmers. I don't know. I just, I, I'm, it's not for me personally. I'm happy for everyone out there that's doing it, but it's not for me. Emma Chamberlain did say that real ballerinas are hating it. We're like co-opting their culture. So I see it from that lens too. Okay. The Mischief Big Red Boots, those huge red boots, I'm giving them an eight. Obviously, they're not functional. Like, you can't wear them as a regular thing. I mean, you could. People can. People do. I saw a lot of great styling. But you can't, like, wear them around, and they're not they're not functional like that. But I really liked the look of them. I don't know. They just kind of tickled a spot in my brain that I was very happy to be tickling. <laughs> Creepy. Okay. 
The next one I also hadn't really heard of, latte, the latte trend. I think it's just the color, the brown, the nice latte color, which I'm certainly into. Okay, and the last one, cottagecore. Yeah, I'm totally into it. Again, it's not quite for me. It's a little too mushroom froggy for me, and that's clashing a little bit with my whites and linens and pale blues, but I totally love and respect, and I'm definitely a part of the culture. I like thinking about women foraging for fairies and mushrooms and building little houses made of sticks, you know? Okay, those are the trends. And then I decided I'm going to incorporate a new segment. Not that there have ever been legitimate segments on this podcast before. Forgive me for that. But I'm going to read a little bit of the Wikipedia page of a woman that I want to know more about. And today's woman is Chloe Seveny, which is how Google pronunciation sound machine says that it's pronounced. I have always in my head said Chloe Sevigny, which can't be right. So Sevigny is what we're going to go with. And Chloe has been in the zeitgeist, in the fashion, in the New York it girl world for a really long time. And I've seen so much about her, but I don't really know. I don't really know her origins, where she's come from. So I'm just going to read the little blurb at the top about who she is so we can all understand. Okay. Chloe Stevens Seveny, born November 18th, 1974, a Scorpio, is an American actress, model, and fashion designer. Known for her work in independent films, often appearing in controversial or experimental features, Seveny Seveny (laughs) is the recipient of several accolades, including a Golden Globe Award, a Satellite Award, an Independent Spirit Award, as well as nominations for an Academy Award and three Screen Actors Guild Awards. She also has a career in fashion design concurrent with her acting work. Over the years, her alternative fashion sense has earned her a reputation as a style icon. After graduating from high school, Seveny found work as a model and appeared in music videos for Sonic Youth and the Lemonheads, which helped acquire her It Girl status. Sorry, I had to sneeze. In 1995, she made her film debut in Kids, which earned her critical acclaim. A string of roles in small-scale features throughout the late 1990s, like 1996's Trees Lounge, further established her as a prominent performer in the independent film scene. Seveny rose to prominence with her portrayal of Lana Tisdall in the drama film Boys Don't Cry, 1999, for which she received a nomination for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. Throughout the 2000s, Seveny appeared in supporting parts in numerous independent films, including American Psycho, Demon Lover, Party Monster, and Dogville, both 2003. Oh, sorry, I didn't say the other years, whatever. And The Brown Bunny, 2004. Her participation in the latter caused considerable controversy due to a scene in which she performed graphic, unsimulated fellatio. From 2006 to 2011, Seveny portrayed Nicolette Grant on the HBO series Big Love, for which she won a Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actress in 2010. She also appeared in mainstream films such as David Fincher's Zodiac and the biopic, biopic, Mr. Nice. 
After the conclusion of Big Love, Seveny went on to appear in numerous television projects starring in the British series Hit and Miss and having supporting roles in Portlandia, two seasons of American Horror Story, and in the Netflix series Bloodline. Seveny made her directorial debut in 2016 with the short film Kitty, followed by a second short film titled Carmen. She has several supporting parts in 2017 before obtaining... Nope. Had several supporting parts in 2010 oh my god we're back in grade school she had several supporting parts in 2017 before obtaining a lead role portraying lizzie borden in the independent thriller lizzie followed by another lead role in jim jarmusch's horror comedy the dead don't die her third film as a director a short titled white echo competed for the short film palm in the 2019 Cannes Film Festival. God. PTSD of reading out loud. Oh my gosh. Okay. Early life. Chloe Stevens Seveny was born in Springfield, Massachusetts on November 18, 1974, the second child of Janine and Harold David Seveny. She has one older brother, Paul. According to Seveny, she added the diuresis to her first name. Oh, the, the umlaut? I totally thought that was called an umlaut. Okay, to her, the two dots above the E, to her first name later in life, and it was not on her birth certificate. Her mother is Polish-American, and her father was of French-Canadian heritage. Seveny and her brother were raised in a strict Catholic household in affluent Darien, Connecticut, where her father worked first as an accountant and then as an art teacher. Aww. Despite Darien's wealth, the Sevenys had a frugal household and were considered the poor bohemians in an extremely prosperous neighborhood. Seveny has stated that her father worked very hard to bring us up in that town. He wanted to, us to grow up in a really safe environment. As a child, Seveny was diagnosed with scoliosis, but never received any surgical treatment for it. She often spent summers attending theater camp with lead roles in plays run by the YMCA. She attended, she attended Darien High School, where she was a member of the Alternative Learning Program. While in high school, she often babysat actor Topher Grace and his younger sister. How cool. As a young teenager, she worked sweeping the tennis courts of a country club her family could not afford to join. Seveny described herself as a loner and a depressed teenager whose only extracurricular activities were occasionally skateboarding with her older brother and sewing her own clothes. In high school, she grew rebellious and began experimenting with drugs, particularly hallucinogens. She has said that her father was aware of her experimentation and even told her that it was okay, but that she had to stop if she had bad trips. Despite her father's leniency, her mother forced her to attend Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. Seveny has later stated about her teenage drug use that, I had a great family life. I would never want it to look as if it reflected on them. I think I was very bored. I often feel it's because I experimented when I was younger that I have no interest as an adult. I know a lot of adults who didn't, and it's much more dangerous when you start experimenting with drugs as an adult. Seveny's father died of cancer in 1996 when she was 22 years old. Oh my God. Okay, this is like really long, obviously. I'm so sorry. How are we going to do this? I don't know. I think that's it, I guess. But hmm, that doesn't feel like it's – I mean, it does, though. I didn't know any of that shit about her, like, being an actress, honestly, which is stupid of me. Whoa, she had a baby at 45. Cool. 
Rotten Tomatoes says an icon of fashion and independent film. And Vogue has an article, 1490s looks that cemented Chloe Sevigny's cool girl. Cool girl what? Cool girl status for life. Yeah. Okay. So she was about town. She's a fashion girly. Ever since Chloe Sevigny emerged in the 90s, this is an article from Vogue by Susan Devaney. Okay. Ever since Chloe Sevigny emerged in the 90s, her distinctive sense of style has set her apart from her peers. Where others walked onto red carpets in glittering gowns, Sevigny appeared in khaki cardigans and lace-up ballet pumps. Onlookers quickly learned, learned, there's nothing she can't pull off, and effortlessly at that. The Boys Don't Cry actor may have grown up in Darien, Connecticut. We knew that. But her insouciant outfits. What does insouciant mean? Free from concern, worry, or anxiety. Carefree or nonchalant. Her insouciant outfits have always evoked a particular strain of New York cool. Case in point, the black asymmetrical beaded dress she paired with tiger print tights for the Trees Lounge premiere in 1996. It was just this sort of quirky Manhattan club kid style that saw her instantly bestowed with it girl status. While Sevigny has served as a muse for many, from fashion designers to rock stars, in the years since, she's always remained true to her own aesthetic. These days, she's she continues to champion emerging talent whose pieces she mixes with vintage vines. In honor of her 49th birthday, enjoy 14 of Chloe Sevigny's best looks from the 90s below. Amazing. Ooh, there are the tights. Yeah, she's fucking cool. Cool. Okay. That was that. I guess we'll modify it because Wikipedia doesn't always have the same overarching take that somewhere like Vogue would have. But of course, we love Wikipedia and we love what it did for us. It, it learned us <laughs> that she's from Darien, Connecticut. So then when we read that article, we knew that she was from Darien and she was bored and she was doing hallucinogens. So there you go. Okay, this was a long one. I so love you all and I'm just so glad you're here. I'm so thankful. My Spotify wrapped for this podcast said that I have 18 listeners in which Internet Hour is in the top 10 of their podcasts. I have 11 listeners in which Internet Hour is in the top five podcasts. And I have three of you mwah, my babies, my little muffins, that I am in the top one. I am the first. I am the number one podcast that you listen to on Spotify. And I am going to assume that you listen to other spot Spotify's <laughs> Spotacasts. No, I'm going to assume that you listen to other podcasts on Spotify and that you just keep coming back to Internet Hour. And it's not just because I'm the only podcast you listen to. But if that is the case, that's totally fine. And I love you all the same. I would not be here without you. I'm so excited for what next year has to come. I can't believe I've made 138 of these episodes now. And I just, I'm so thankful, so grateful to all of you. I hope you have a fabulous week and an amazing weekend. I love you. I love you. I love you. Goodbye.